everyone, welcome to episode number 12 of the Elven Padawan, from Erebor to Echo Base. And this is also the very first episode of 2018. Man, I can't believe last year's already gone, literally. This year has seemed to fly by so fast. I'm not just saying that, I promise. It kind of scares me how time seems to go by faster and faster the older I get, because I'm, you know, still a teenager and... I'm kind of curious how fast it's going to seem to go when I hit 30. A little bit scared about that, but that's another thing for another day. Today, I am here to talk to you all about Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Yes, I finally got to see it last week, and I'm so excited to let you all know what I thought. Now, this movie, a lot of people were super, super excited for. People were on the edge of their seat. We had no clue where it was going to go. They, the people at Lucasfilm teased us on and on about everything that we thought was going to happen. And they told us over and over, expect the unexpected or don't expect anything at all. They told us over and over to be careful because it was going to be like nothing we'd ever thought we'd see. It was going to be unlike anything we'd ever seen before. They even in one of the trailers, Luke himself, and in the movie as well, he tells us this is not going to go the way you think. I mean, he's telling Ray, but I knew right off that it was much like Ahsoka's line where she said there's always a bit of truth in legends. This was a subliminal message to the fans as well. This is not anything like what you thought. They continued to build this hype for so long and everyone was so excited and had all their theories. And every time a new trailer or preview or interview came out, it seemed like they were throwing us yet again and changing what we thought we were going to see. Everyone thought it was going to go one way and then all of a sudden they thought it was going to go another way and then they thought it was going to go a completely different way from that and by the time the movie finally came out nobody knew what to think. Which I think was, you know, probably the best idea. I went into the theater, sat down, having no expectations. I knew it was going to be Star Wars. I knew we were going to get to see Rey, Finn, Kylo, Poe, and Leia again. I knew there was going to be more Luke. And I knew there was going to be more Snoke. And I knew that we were going to get to see new characters. Rose Tico, uh, DJ, and Amalyn Holdo. But beyond that, I really didn't know anything. I was able to go completely spoiler-free this time. Besides just a few little uh, things that I don't consider personally spoilers, I knew that... I knew the costumes of the characters, I knew some of the planets they'd end up on, I knew some backstory on some of them, but I don't really consider those spoilers personally. I knew nothing about the plot of the movie itself or how the characters were going to end up, and I really think that's the best way to go into this movie, not knowing anything. So right now is probably a good time to go ahead and let you know there are going to be massive spoilers for The Last Jedi in this episode of The Elven Padawan, so if you have not seen it, or if you still need some time to think through everything you saw, you've maybe you've seen it once or twice, but you still need some time to digest everything, you probably want to come back to this episode again later because I'm going to go off on a lot of rants about this. And I probably won't have a lot to say that hasn't been said already, but hopefully you'll still enjoy my thoughts. Um, I think I have a perspective on something some I haven't heard a lot of people cover yet. So, you're warned. <laughs> So anyway, I had no expectations when I went to see the movie, and I think that's the best way, because with The Force Awakens, I think I had a lot of expectations that kind of weren't met, 
uh, The Force Awakens, for me, a lot of people know, was not... It, it's not been my favorite Star Wars movie. As time has gone on and I've rewatched it, I've come to really like it. But the first time I saw it, I didn't necessarily feel disappointed or let down. But I did feel like it didn't feel Star Warsy enough to me. And there were some things that, you know, the humor, the whole feel of the universe, the, the kind of cold steel and computers feel. I know some people are going to argue that's always been Star Wars. But to me, that wasn't the Star Wars that I knew. That wasn't my favorite feel of Star Wars. It felt much more like the new Star Trek to me, which is understandable considering both are made by J.J. Abrams and both were made pretty close to the same time. But that kind of bothered me just a bit because I've always felt that Star Wars needs to seem very separate from any other movies or books or comics or really any other franchises that could be considered close to it. It needs to be its own separate thing. Star Wars doesn't need to begin to muddle up with Marvel movies. It doesn't need to get too much of a Star Trek feel. It doesn't even need to go too much into Lord of the Rings area. So I think that's maybe why The Force Awakens wasn't my favorite. I'll just go ahead and admit here and now I am a fan of the prequels. Yes, I understand that a lot of the dialogue was awful. At least I understand that now. I watched those movies when I was little. You gotta understand, I was three, four, five years old, and I watched episode one and episode two frequently. And I loved those movies because they had this sparkly, otherworldly feel that was so different. Even just the way people talked was different than the way we talk now. You didn't have wild goose chases, you had wild bantha chases. Familiar, but so different. And I loved that about Star Wars. I loved that they went to all these different planets where they were full of different civilizations and they had all their own cultures and their own languages. And to me, I just love that alive feeling the prequels had. The original trilogies I know have a special place in everyone's heart. But to me, the prequels are special because, like I said, yes, I get that some people hate the CGI and they hate the dialogue, which even I have to admit was pretty tacky and stiff. And they hate what happened with certain characters and they think Anakin was whiny and bratty and horribly cast. But really, those things are what made me love Star Wars. Not the bad, not those things I listed or why I love Star Wars, but the prequels, even with all their flaws, are why I love Star Wars today. They're what got me introduced to Star Wars. Without those horribly flawed movies, I wouldn't be a fan today. I wouldn't have this podcast today. In fact, I probably wouldn't even like Lord of the Rings today if I hadn't first been introduced to Star Wars when I was a kid by my dad. Those things in the prequels are what drew me in to this fandom and what makes me the kind of geek I am today. So those movies are very close to my heart and I do understand, like I said several times already, they have their flaws, they have their shortcomings, and I understand that people were very upset when they first came out. But I think one thing that I want to always do on the Elven Padawan is make sure that we have the perspective of my generation, which kind of gets maybe not hurt as much sometimes, maybe just because they they don't have the ability that the older generation does. But I feel like a lot of people in my generation don't actually hate the prequels as much as the generation before me. 
Uh, maybe I'm wrong in that, but I've actually met a lot of people my age and in their 20s who don't seem to think the prequels were all that bad because that's what they grew up watching. So anyway, all that to come back to why I didn't care as much for The Force Awakens. I was really hoping to feel that very lifelike, sparkly, fantasy kind of feel again in The Force Awakens. At least the cool uh, space that still lived in feel of the original trilogy. Instead, The Force Awakens to me somehow felt too harsh, too stark, too much of a hard contrast with hot, gritty desert and cold uh, metal of Starkiller Base. Somehow that, while, you know, might make great poetry, that didn't feel quite what I was used to in Star Wars, and I didn't feel like I cared for it quite as much. A lot of the humor I didn't care for, while now I think it's funny and I understand the characters. When I first watched The Force Awakens, I didn't care for that as much. But more on that in a little bit when I get into my thoughts on characters in The Last Jedi. So anyway, I knew all that about The Force Awakens, and as time has gone on, my rather harsh first opinion on it has begin to let off a bit. I have come to really enjoy it. I think it's great how a lot of these characters were introdu introduced as nobody. We knew nothing about them and now we're finding out more and more about them. One of the biggest things The Force Awakens set in stone right from the beginning though was letting me know how much I hated Kylo Ren. I could not stand this person. Not as a character. Not in the way some characters annoy me and I'm just like, get them off the screen, kill them, do something, drop them into a pit, I don't care, get them away. But because I hated him as a villain. I remember distinctly that was one of the remarks our family made on the drive to visit our grandparents after watching the movie. Then my dad said that he thought it was really neat how Adam Driver had played his character so that you literally hate him. He's not just a cool villain as Darth Vader sometimes gets portrayed. Yeah, he's done terrible things, but doesn't he have a neat outfit? No, Kylo Ren, you really hate him. You really just want to punch him. And that's what the big thing The Force Awakens did for me was make me hate that guy. Now, also, a lot of people after The Force Awakens were totally in love with Rey. They were like, this is amazing. We finally have a prominent character in Star Wars who's a girl. And I'm going, what? You know, we had Padme. We had Leia. We had Ahsoka. We had a ton of other really neat girl characters who get totally missed. But everybody was just enamored with Rey and thought she was so cool. I'm not one to see a character right off the bat and decide... They're my favorite character now. I'm one to give it some time. And I do that with not just characters, but just stories in general. It, it takes me a little bit to decide that I really like a character. I have to see some of their story. I have to see some of their development. I have to know what they're going through, what their personality's like, before I make an instant judgment that I like them. It was the same way when I began to watch Rebels. I was very skeptical about the show in general. I liked the show. I wanted to like it, but it was kind of tacky starting off. And I saw a lot of fans, especially female fans and ones around my age group, who were totally enamored with Sabine, much the way fans were with Rey. But 
Sabine just didn't appeal to me right off because I was like, yeah, she may have the cool factor, but she may also be kind of shallow. And for the first season or two, she kind of was. It wasn't until season three when her story really started to mature and you started to find out her backstory and you started realizing how complex she was and what kind of part of the team she was that I really decided, hey, I really like Sabine Wren. She's an awesome character. I can't wait to see what they choose to do with her in the long run. See, it takes me a bit. That is where The Last Jedi did a phenomenal job. In The Last Jedi, because of it, I've decided that, I, yeah, I love Rey. Now, some people may actually be kind of surprised to realize that I had those thoughts about Rey when I first watched The Force Awakens because I cosplay her. I spent months and months and months and way more money than I'd ever spent on a project before to try to make a screen-accurate Rey scavenger costume. And some of you may have seen my pictures of that, and I've gotten lots of compliments on it, and I love cosplaying as her. So some people may be kind of surprised to find out that she wasn't my favorite character right off the bat. Somehow, I think I liked her, and I somehow kind of stuck with her, something in her kind of appealed to me, but I didn't want to openly just kind of go Ray obsessed and just get really, really, really into her and tell everyone, oh yeah, she's the best Star Wars character ever. Just because, like I said, I wanted to see more about her. Now, since then, I have collected quite a bit Ray knowledge and stuff connected to the character, such as, you know, I made her staff. I'm wanting to make her blaster now. I want to make her version of the Skywalker lightsaber. I want to start work on her new gray outfit, her Jedi outfit, as I like to call it, from The Last Jedi. As soon as possible, I'm going to get that one. You know, probably the best cosplay I've ever done. I want to really push myself and make that one look fantastic. I've already made a dress inspired by that outfit. I made that before the movie even released. That ought to tell you that I knew that some things were going to change about the character and I thought I was going to really like where it was going. But that is something really good to me for a movie to be able to take a character who I was skeptical about before and make me love them. That's something really good. I will also add that this movie to me had some things in it that I felt were lacking in The Force Awakens and it came back to it. The tie-ins with the original trilogy in The Force Awakens were cool, but to me, they felt like a bit of a copy job. It was like, you know, a lot of you, I'm sure, have seen that meme where one student asks the other, hey, can I copy your homework? And the first is like, sure, just make sure you change it a little bit so that nobody can notice. And the picture is the picture of the A New Hope poster, and right next to it is the Force Awakens poster. Ha ha, very funny. You know, I had that meme on my Pinterest board somewhere, probably. But the thing is, that's kind of what happened. Now, in my opinion, I have argued before that The Force Awakens is as much a copy of A New Hope as it is The Phantom Menace. It's, it's got a lot of parallels between itself and The Phantom Menace, maybe even more than A New Hope. The feel is that of A New Hope, but the actual story parallels are to A Phantom Menace. I do wish some more people would notice that instead of just calling it a cop-out and copying the A New Hope because The Phantom Menace is horribly underrated. I know people hate it on it for various reasons, but it gets a lot of hate and I kind of wish with all the instant love The Force Awakens seemed to get that people would realize that 
much of it was based on things that happened in the Phantom Menace. That that's a whole nother spiel for a whole nother time. The big thing is it was kind of a copy job and it had some things that I didn't care for. Like I said, the references to the original trilogy were kind of a winking at the fans sort of way. Such as, you know, Finn finding the training ball that supposedly is the same one Luke used when training with old Ben in A New Hope. And all these little things going on. It's just like, it's too much. It's just too much like trying to reference itself in order to tie it together. To me, it felt like a spinoff. And, you know, y'all may think, oh, well, you love Rebels and you like Clone Wars. Why would you have a problem with a spinoff? Because a spinoff like that will not get my approval, at least not very easily. I don't have anything against spinoffs in general, but it bothers me when you take a core story that has been created, especially when it's been created by one person, and then another company or creator gets a hold of it and is like, I want to extend the story, and really all they're doing is making a spinoff. I can't remember the name right now, but the thing I thought of when I saw The Force Awakens was the spinoff series connected to Anne of Green Gables, where there's another young girl who comes and lives in the same area where she does and meets Marilla and these other characters connected to Anne. But she, I don't know if she ever actually meets Anne herself. I only saw a couple episodes early on. But she kind of, is. she's in the same area, but she's got her own story going. She interacts with the characters Anne interacted with, the characters that were central to Anne's story, and they're there a little bit, but it's her own story kind of shooting off from it. That's what The Force Awakens sort of felt like to me. And I didn't care for that because it was supposed to be a saga movie. Now, of course, there will be more on this later on when I want to get into some thoughts on whether Rey is actually a Skywalker or if Kylo was actually telling the truth. So hang in there, I'll come back to that. But I didn't care for the separateness, yet still kind of winking back at itself, almost like it was a little bit obsessed with itself but didn't want to get too close. Now, The Last Jedi is a whole nother story. The Last Jedi had connections to the original trilogy, and in case you missed it, there were also a lot of connections to the prequels and the animated shows, but it was done in a way that felt very natural, to me at least. There's the particular, the first scene where Luke finally comes back to the Millennium Falcon and sees R2 and talks to R2 and, and R2's so excited because, yeah, my master, my man, Luke Skywalker, he's coming back with us. And then Luke drops the bomb and says, uh, no, I'm not coming back. I can't. I messed everything up. You know that. And R2 does what Luke calls a cheap trick and pulls out the hologram of Leia asking for the help of Obi-Wan Kenobi. The same recording, the same message that Luke found 30 plus years earlier that first got him started in the path of the Jedi, that first got him started in his destiny to becoming a hero of the rebellion and essentially helping save the galaxy and then essentially helping destroy the galaxy, you know, on accident. This message that R2 shows Luke reminds him of everything that he went through, and that now Leia's coming to him. He's in the same place as Obi-Wan was, and Leia is coming to him and saying, help us, you're our only hope, we need your help. 
Now, in case anyone has forgotten, Obi-Wan never stepped a foot on the rebel base. He never met any of the rebels besides Leia. Um, unless you want to count, you know, Ezra and rebels. But he never met any of that group of the rebellion. He didn't do what everybody wanted him to do in that he didn't come out, challenge Vader, and bring down the Empire with one hand tied behind his back with the mighty strength of a Jedi. No, he encouraged hope. He got the ball rolling to get the Jedi started again. And Luke is this young kid. Man, this guy's awesome. I want to be just like him. And what he doesn't realize is he was. He's exactly like Obi-Wan. And look at their eyes in that scene when Luke, when, when R2 shows Luke that message, Luke realizes that he's in the exact same place as Obi-Wan. Or maybe he doesn't realize it. Maybe he still doesn't know the full history of what happened. Because right there is one of your connections to the prequels. In that Obi-Wan, when he saw the message, when he saw Leia begging for his help to come help the new rebellion that, that needs to be given a, a bit of a kick in the pants to get started and bring down this empire... You know what he probably remembers? The fact that that empire was started by a young boy who he took under his wing and trained and loved like a son and a brother and who he feels he failed and who destroyed everything they knew and loved, destroyed the galaxy as they knew it and brought the empire to be. Obi-Wan was in the exact same position as Luke Skywalker. He had trained Anakin Skywalker. He had spent years of his life devoted to this boy. And the boy turns around and wipes everything out. That's exactly what happened with Luke and Ben. Now, you know, there are going to be some differences. But to me, that connection, that scene, was so... It had a depth that Star Wars fans who have stuck with this series for so long are going to feel that maybe a casual fan or someone who just decided to walk into the theater because they had nothing else to do aren't going to feel. I know the whole thing about don't try to make whether you're a true Star Wars fan or not a deal. I understand that and I agree, you know, true Star Wars fans or real Star Wars fans, or whether you're more of a fan or less of a fan. But right now, I do have to clarify, there are people who are more devoted in certain ways than others. I'm not saying anything bad about anybody. I'm just saying that those of us who have really devoted, really, our lives to this series, who are so into it, who know all the characters like they're real people, like their friends. My mom sometimes asks me if I talk to these people, and I don't, normally. But they mean a lot to us, a lot more than many people who say they're a Star Wars fan and maybe have a Star Wars shirt or some action figures. But to us, this means so much more. So that moment when R2 shows Luke that hologram, the big question is, you know, was that a cheap trick? Not in the story, but outside of the story. Was it just a little winking at the audience callback to say, hee hee, look what we can do, look what we can pull out, and, and remind you of the original trilogy? To me, no. No, no more than it was actually a cheap trick in the story. 
because that caught Luke thinking and it got the audience thinking and it got everyone to remember. See, Luke realizes that he is the Obi-Wan Kenobi. He is the General Kenobi now. And he's in the exact same place that Obi-Wan was. And now he's got to make his own choice. To realize that as a fan, that is very, very powerful because it ties the whole story together. That's why I think that moment with the hologram was amazing and was one of the best tie-ins we've had in a long time because there's so much depth to it. Someone who maybe knows the series, maybe has watched the originals, but like I said, isn't as into it. They're not going to get the depth of what someone who has watched the prequels, even with all their flaws, has dissected those movies, has watched through Clone Wars and lived every episode with those characters, and who has watched the original trilogy and known those people as well, deep, you know, as a part of their personality, and now they're going into The Last Jedi and they see that. That's really enough to make you cry, to realize how deep that connection across those many, many years that the movie span is. To me, that's one of the reasons why I ended up deciding that I really, really like The Last Jedi, that I do really like this movie that has been so divisive when it comes to the fandom and that so many people really hate on. And of course, I have to talk about the other big connection and one of my personal favorite scenes in the movie when Master Yoda appears to Luke as he is about to torch the Jedi tree, torch the Jedi teaching manuals, get rid of everything, destroy it because the galaxy is better off with the Jedi, without the Jedi. And Yoda appears to him and gives him this little speech and a whack on the head with his staff, which to me I felt was very Gandalf-esque and I liked very much. Um, and he has to give him this these bits of knowledge and tell him what happened why did he fail because he didn't heed Yoda's words because he didn't pass on everything he learned he may have passed on the victories he may have passed on the legends and the times when things went awesome and maybe he even passed on some little mistakes he made but he didn't pass on everything he didn't tell them he didn't tell his apprentices how badly the jedi messed up with anakin how badly everything went this is a you know a direct reference to kylo and what happened with his family in that his family didn't tell him about vader they didn't tell him that his grandfather who is lauded as being one of the most powerful, best Jedi ever. He's a hero of the Clone Wars. He's this awesome person, this, you know, Jedi who did these amazing things. But they didn't also tell him that he was the monster who destroyed the Jedi Order, who created the Empire, who helped keep the, keep the Emperor alive and feed his, him his victims and do so much evil and had so much darkness. Yes, in the end, he came back. I'm a firm believer that Anakin was redeemed in the end. He came back, and he turned away from the darkness and rejoined the light. But they didn't tell Kylo that. They didn't tell Ben, this young boy, who's so impressionable, and he's being whispered to by the malice-filled Snoke. He's being slowly turned away from the light side, 
and his family, probably in an effort to keep him from turning to the dark side, didn't tell him the horrible things in their history. But in the end, to me, that's why he turned. And that's why Yoda had to tell Luke, he had to give Luke some tough love and say, Hey man, you, you kind of did mess up. You didn't listen. And that is very applicable, I think, to our world, where in our world you have to be careful that each generation knows their history, knows the bad things that happened as well as the good, so that we don't end up repeating them again. And I loved that connection with bringing Yoda in. I think bringing Yoda into this movie was one of the best things you could have done. I have to admit, was a tad bit disappointed that we didn't at least see the shadowy forms of Obi-Wan and Anakin, or at least a couple of sparkly dots for Qui-Gon, because I'm still holding out on seeing that Qui-Gon ghost somewhere. We didn't see them over in the corner watching and observing as Yoda had to talk to his formerly young student. But I think it was amazing that they did that, and here's part of the reason why. I was a bit worried, especially after seeing The Force Awakens, that these new movies wouldn't keep respect and wouldn't keep tight bonds with the first movies. I don't just mean the originals, but I mean the prequels. Because like it or not, they are canon and they do mean a lot and they do play a very significant role in the galaxy. They wouldn't keep those connections and they wouldn't tie in too strongly. Number one, because they don't want to doom themselves to financial failure by tying in too closely to the prequels and getting boycotted by a bunch of angry fans. And number two, because they want to make sure that they keep those fans who just walked in to the theater because there was nothing better to do on a Friday night happy. They want to make sure they don't confuse those guys. And like I said, I don't want to say anything bad uh, based on who you are as a fan. I don't want to say anything against people who maybe don't know all the lore. I still haven't read nearly as many new canon or old canon books as I many fans have and as I probably really ought to. I've only read a handful of books in new canon. I literally only read just a few of the little short middle school readers from old canon. I, I don't know hardly anything about that aspect. But to me, it, it made me so happy to see Yoda back because to big fans, this means a lot. Seeing that guy back means so much. It ties everything together and it makes it all feel like one story as he references things that happened in Return of the Jedi in the prequels. He's, he's telling Luke, you didn't listen to me. You didn't pass on what you learned. If you don't know Return of the Jedi very well, then you're not going to even know what he told Luke. Because obviously he re-quoted himself just to make himself clear in case people were confused. He said the quote again. But to me, that meant a lot. Because I feel like a fan who just came in and, and doesn't know Star Wars very well or doesn't know Star Wars at all, might would be a bit confused by some of these things, some of the references and some of the tie-ins in this movie. But to a big fan, it means so much. I told my sister that, you know, big fans or, you know, I, I hate using that term because I know the whole stigma about not wanting to try to judge your fandom. But people who are really deep into it, 
especially people who are into the animated series, who are into Rebels and Clone Wars and all the comics and everything. These fans, they thought Rogue One was their reward. We, we loved those fans like me who are like that. We loved Rogue One so much because the ghost was on screen. The ghost was in a theater shown movie. Not just a little animated ship that everyone tries to forget ever happened. It cannot be denied now. They called Hera over the PA system. Chopper was in there. You hear him laughing. Saul Guerrera from the Clone Wars was a character. Maybe, you know, he was just a character who wasn't in a whole lot of scenes. He didn't go help personally pull those Death Star plans from the Data Tower. But he was a very important character in this story. And he's from the animated series. He wasn't just walking by in the background and, oh, little bit of obscure trivia, yeah, he's from the animated series. No, he played a prominent part. We thought this was our reward. We thought, thank you, Lucasfilm, for finally referencing this. But we didn't know the half of it. Now we've got The Last Jedi. And maybe the connections are a bit more obscure than they were in Rogue One. But there are connections there, and I think we still haven't even found out a lot of them. I think a lot of them are still to come. They're still going to be revealed in the coming months. And as people are able to watch the movie more times and dissect it, as Lucasfilm is able to say more, you know, as Rebels draws to a close, we're going to find even more connections than we even think there are now. I'm so excited for that. I, I cannot wait to see everything that we pull out of it. And maybe that's another reason. You know, that, like I said, that's the big reason why The Last Jedi, to me, I loved it. Because, to be honest, yeah, there were some things I did not care for. I did not care for, once again, the humor. The humor felt kind of off to me. I know, I think a lot of people are probably comparing it this way, but it felt a little too Marvel-y. You know, Marvel movies are all well and good, but I don't want them crossing over too much into my Star Wars. I listened to the InnerTube podcast review of The Last Jedi, and they said the same thing that people were saying it was too Marvel-y. But then they tried to debunk that and say, well, no, but it's not, and here's why. But maybe, maybe it isn't too marvelly. But I still felt like a lot of the jokes didn't totally fit with my concept of Star Wars. On that same note, however, I don't think that that is a good reason to hate on the movie. For instance, the opening scene has a gag with Poe calling up General Hux of the First Order, disguised like literally, literally the second in command. He's the Tarkin of the First Order, and he calls him up. On the comm system, as he's quite literally about to almost, well, Poe thinks, get blown up. And he plays this joke where he asks, he, he keeps saying, you know, okay, I'll hold for General Hux. And Hux is like, wait, can he hear me? And, and you know, of, of course, Hux becomes infuriated. That's what Poe had in mind. That's what Poe wanted. But that joke, while it was funny... I think a lot of fans probably turned off that very moment that happened. They were like, this is stupid. They've ruined Star Wars. And I think, honestly, I think I probably would have become very upset as well if it hadn't been Poe Dameron doing it. I'm not trying to say that this character can do no wrong and I'm just a big fangirl of him. To be honest, I like Poe a, a moderate amount. He's not my absolute favorite character, but I do like him. But I know how he is by now. The same thing happened when I first watched The Force Awakens, when he 
immediately comes out with the line, well, do you talk first or do I talk first? You know, you want to like the peppy space guy, you know, flying around the flyboy in a space plane, you know, cracking jokes and being kind of an Indiana Jones sort of personality. But that bothered me because I felt, yeah, this doesn't feel super Star Wars-y. Now I've gotten to know the characters better. That joke with Hux, while at first it kind of did bother me because I was like, oh no, this doesn't feel quite right. Now I'm like, you know, it's Poe Dameron saying it. I don't care. You know, I, I'm okay with Poe making those kind of jokes because that's his character. There are also some jokes and some little things going on with Finn that I probably would have been frustrated by had it been any other character. But now we've gotten to know these new cast of characters and I don't mind as much. When I first began watching Rebels, I got really annoyed at some of the things Ezra did. How he was kind of goofy and he used words we didn't hear a lot in Star Wars before like wow and cool and a lot of these popular terms that we hear all the time today, but we never heard a ton in Star Wars. And that kind of bothered me. But then I got to know Ezra Bridger, and I said, that's Ezra. You know, I don't care anymore because that's the character. That's part of what makes him him. If Obi-Wan talked like any modern hip teen, even as a, an adult, as an old man on Tatooine, that would have been weird. Because Obi-Wan is supposed to be kind of like Gandalf. He's supposed to have this wise, almost slightly archaic way of speaking. That is Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's the character. These are the things that make the characters individual. So the humor that Poe kept cracking and that Finn kept doing, it didn't bother me as much because those that's who they are. Now... As I said, I was bothered a bit by it because it did feel too humorous in a way to me. Star Wars isn't supposed to be the darkest, most despairing, horrible, you know, I'm just thinking heavy metal, just bah, bad, hopeless movie. The whole point in Star Wars is hope and faith and keeping on, like Holdo said, having hope even when you can't see the sun. You have to hang on even when it looks like it's not going to work. That's the message of Star Wars. So it's not despairing. And Star Wars has always had humor from Jar Jar, which everybody hates on, to 3PO always complaining about things, which apparently people used to hate on but don't care about this much anymore, to Han Solo, you know, everybody loves Han, he makes all these jokes. Star Wars has always had humor. But this did feel a little bit off to me. So I think that is one of the few things that I did become bothered by. But all in all, I think I can kind of excuse it. I need to see the movie again. I need to really probably see it several more times before I'm able to make a good grounded call on everything. But I will tell you one other thing. There were a lot of things in this movie that I think I would have been very upset by and quite honestly I might would have joined the team who doesn't care for the movie that much if I hadn't watched Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars The Clone Wars first. There were many things in this movie that somehow Clone Wars and Rebels warmed me up to little bit by little bit so that when they finally put it in the saga, undeniably canon right there in your face, it didn't bother me. 
I would like to find out how many fans who really intensely hated The Last Jedi are actually fans or have even watched the animated series. If you have, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of the animated series or you've at least watched them and, you know, given them a fair go, even if you disliked them, let me know if you liked or hated The Last Jedi because I, I want to know, I'm very curious to find out if a majority of fans who hated The Last Jedi also don't give any sort of credit to the animated series. Because I feel like a lot of the things with the Force have already been hinted at many times there. The connection between Rey and Kylo reminds me of things we saw going on in the Clone Wars and the odd Force, just the the different feel of the Force reminds me a bit of what we're seeing in Rebels with, you know, animals you know everybody's like whoa 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 force wolves now and they're like spirit animals and they're guiding them what what is going on here but us fans of rebels were okay with that somehow and if you're okay with force wolves coming in and directing the jedi on how to save this planet's being destroyed by the empire then you're probably going to be okay with a couple of kids who just realize they have force skype so i'm i'm curious to know what people thought in regard to that i know a ton of people have talked about the connection the connections between the animated series and the last jedi okay so i have a note here a bunch of different thoughts for one at the very beginning i I mentioned the whole joke with hux and poe also the bomber that Paige tico rose's older sister was on and they dropped the bombs on the first order dreadnought i know poe was a pain a bit through this movie I think it was supposed to be I kind of got annoyed with him at times yeah I didn't I wasn't positive whether Holdo was a good guy or not now because I'd read the book that covers some of her and Leia's shared childhood Leia Princess of Alderaan I felt like it was very likely that she wasn't a traitor but both of them got on my nerves a bit because Poe was so pushing everything just because he wasn't given the info he needed that bothered me a bit, but Holdo was a bit of a pain as well in not giving him the info. And I know there's all kind of arguments about whether she should have, whether she shouldn't have, why she didn't, why he's justified in acting the way he did or why he's not, why she's justified in what she did or why she's not. I don't even, I'm not going to get in all that. I think it did play an important part in the story. I think that you ought not hate the entire movie because you don't agree with that. I think that's something fans can civilly disagree and debate on. But just back to what I was saying about the beginning, the hate for the bomber. People, I saw someone hating on it because they're like, you know, bombs wouldn't work in space. There's no gravity. What in the world? And I'm thinking, well, for one, how do you know that that, Dreadnought is not giving off some amount of gravity. It's massive, and it's got all kinds of machines working all the time. And we've seen some things in Rebels where they've had to go, and and in other parts of the extended areas of the Star Wars universe, where they've had to go out on the outside of their ship to repair things or to fight or whatever reason. It makes me think that especially a ship of that size would have some sort of at least very at least very uh, gentle simulated gravity on the outside of it. I don't know 
for any of you who have played Battlefront 2, there is a part where Aiden Versio lands on the outside hull of, I believe it's a Star Destroyer, and makes her way inside and fights off stormtroopers there on the top of it. And yes, she is within the reach of a planet's gravity, but it makes it seem like this stuff is not totally unprecedented. This kind of stuff happens relatively often, or at least the Empire and the Rebellion are both prepared for it to happen. So it makes me think that there is some sort of gravity there. Plus, the bombs are probably magnetized, and I think bombs would have worked a lot better than missiles or anything else you could have dropped on that thing. I think it made sense, and I didn't question it. In fact, I totally even forgot about zero gravity in space. You know, people, there sometimes you have to suspend your concept of how things work in our world so you can enjoy Star Wars. That's just the way it is. Like Plo Koon with absolutely no spacesuit, nothing playing around on the outside of his escape pod. No oxygen, no spacesuit, nothing. Just hanging out to fight the Separatists in the Clone Wars. I didn't care for that episode, because it was kind of weird, in that he didn't have any sort of protective gear, but I don't absolutely hate and bash the Clone Wars over that episode. And that brings me to another thing that, you know, a lot of fans are debating over right now, and that's the scene where Leia uses the Force to pull herself back inside the Resistance ship after she's blown out into space. I understand uh, that, once again, it's Star Wars. Things don't always work the same way they do in our galaxy. But, you know, people do know, you, you do have to understand, like I said, Plo Koon out in space, no oxygen, no spacesuit, nothing. And he hangs out that way for quite a while. Kanan Jarrus slash Caleb Doom in the Kanan comic and in Star Wars Rebels has been in space several times. He pulled a move similar to what Leia did. And to me, I, I know that the scene did feel a little bit off, but I can accept it and I cannot hate the movie because it has happened before in canon. We've seen it happen, and I'm sure Clone Wars and Rebels and the Kanan comic may have lost some readers and viewers over those times, but apparently didn't hurt them too much. And like I said, you know, the scene was a little bit odd, but I think maybe, number one, people are like, you know, she was out there a long time. I really wonder if that scene, you're meant to accept that for some reason it slowed down that somehow they slowed down the time of that scene in order for it to have more effect on you and for you to catch everything that was going on with Leia right there in that instant. I feel like it's possible that she wasn't out there super long. It just, we think it think of it as longer because the movie chose to slow it down a bit for it to have more effect. Also, you know, well, Leia's never had any training in the Force, well, yeah, but the Force kicks in to save people who have the ability to access it. Ezra used the Force to jump, and as far as we know, Leia has never trained in the Force. That doesn't mean that she doesn't know how to battle someone with a saber, that she doesn't know how to pull some things around, how to Force jump, how to do a few things. I feel like Leia maybe in her free time, did practice a bit. She chose not to become a full-fledged Jedi 
for various reasons, partly that she felt that she was more needed in the political areas of the New Republic. But that doesn't mean that she doesn't know how to use the Force. I actually, even with as odd as that scene kind of was, it... I liked it because now nobody can say that Leia doesn't have the force. She does. Besides, she's the child of Anakin Skywalker, who was the chosen one, you know, conceived of the force. Yeah, of course she would be able to do that, especially if her life is so in danger. So I don't think people ought to pick as much issue with that scene as they do. Like, you know, to each their own. If you didn't care for the scene, that's fine. But I felt like, yeah, it did feel a little bit odd. I probably, if it had been me, I would have done it differently. I didn't care for some, somehow the way it was executed felt kind of odd and it just didn't totally work with me. But I'm not going to hate it the way some people do. And like I said, I'm not going to drop the whole movie because of it. Okay, now I'm coming up on almost an hour that I've been talking about all this. And I know I've gotten off on rabbit trails quite a bit. But... There are some things that I do want to try to get on real quick. And one would be that, you know, of course, Ray and Kylo slash Ben. Um, just Ray in general. You know, her progression, her character progression in this movie, the things she went through, the way she grew as a person, the way her story advanced, I thought was phenomenal. And I really, like I've said before, I love Ray because of this movie. Uh, one thing that I think is really neat that they chose to do was that we've seen lately a lot of Force users kind of have their own distinct Force sound, if you understand what I mean. Ezra, when he feels the Force calling him to look for Kanan's lightsaber in the first episode of Star Wars Rebels, he hears a tinkly kind of noise. Kylo often has a deep humming noise associated with him, very deep, creepy, kind of almost like static, you know, from a balloon pulling on the hairs on your face. It's a really weird feeling when you've got your subwoofer cranked up, it's the sound that you can quite literally feel. That's associated with Kylo. It seems like Ray's sound is a, a bit of a whispering. And I know, you know, the, the theories that she's got the same power as Quinlan Voss, where she can touch something and see its history or see things connected to it. I don't know if that's entirely true yet or not. It seems like it's very possible for her to have that ability or at least be able to access that ability. But I like the idea of the whispering being her sound, at least in certain circumstances, because she has exhibited the ability to be able to be very, to, to detect things very well. She is able to figure out connections between people. She's able to really kind of get inside with, without being in a Sith or dark side sort of way, mind probing you, she's able to figure out people's characters quickly. So the whispering to me is, is very cool. I'm interested to see when the DVD comes out if people are able to analyze that scene and figure out maybe whose voice it was or what kind of words they were saying. My sister thinks it's just a bunch of like shishy noises going on. No one's saying anything. But I'm interested to know why it made that sound. So that's cool. And her connection with Kylo 
slash Ben Solo. I don't know what to call him at this point. I think I'm going to keep on calling him Kylo when I'm feeling annoyed toward him and call him Ben when I feel like having him come back to the light side. I know that a lot of people have decided once and for all that they ship Raylo because of this movie or they shipped Raylo from before The Force Awakens was released and they ship it even more now or whatever. I have some good friends who have decided to ship Raylo because of this movie. Actually, they don't ship Raylo. They ship Ray and Ben, which is there's a very big difference between Ray and Kylo and Ray and Ben. Literally, I'm being serious. There is a difference between shipping them. So, I still don't ship it because I'm not positive that she's not connected to the Skywalker or Solo Blood in some way. I still feel like things don't work for her just not to be related at all in any way. Somehow, it seems too many things fit together. The way the lightsaber called to her. The way she instantly falls in with this family and gets along with them. The way Han and Luke and Leia and all of them have looked at her. Luke, I feel, knew something about her. That's why he's so suspicious when he repeatedly asked her who are you? Why are you personally here? There's something more to her past than we know. And I know a lot of people just want to see her be a nobody because it means nobodies can do great things. You don't have to be part of a particular bloodline or have a particular history to be a great hero. I understand that and I do agree. It's it's cool that They're trying to show that, and I think that's important for her as a character to understand. Or at least it was at that moment when Kylo told her once and for all, yeah, you're nobody and your parents were nobody and they were trash. But maybe now that she's gone through that, now that she's accepted, I don't have to be related to the heroes of the galaxy in order to be someone special. Maybe now that she's accepted that and she understands that and has moved beyond that, we can say, oh, by the way, Ray, you are related. You are connected. Because at this point, it's not going to mean the same thing to her as it would have had you told her in the beginning of The Force Awakens. So that's part of the reason why I don't ship Raylo. Also, the connections between Ray and Kylo and the son and the daughter in the Mortis storyline of the Clone Wars are so strong. The The son and the daughter were two entities of the Force, kind of. They were, the daughter was aligned to the light side, and the son was aligned to the dark side. Now, we've been told that those episodes were meant to symbolize everything that ever happened in the rest of the Star Wars saga. I was very curious to know if that was just everything that had happened at the time Clone Wars was made, which was after the prequels had finished and obviously after the original trilogy had finished, or if the sequels and any other parts of the Star Wars media, such as Rebels, would also continue to tie into the Mortis arc. Well, now I know my answer, yes. The things happening in The Last Jedi tie in so strongly. That's another reason why I don't ship Raylo. And I love those two characters together, Rey and Kylo, 
as a brother-sister type relationship. Even if they're not biologically related, which like I said, I'm not giving up on. I think it would be so neat to see the light side and the dark side both fully given to their sides as brother and sister. They're still connected. They cannot they cannot doubt their connection. They cannot try to erase their connection because it because they're brother and sister and because in the end they do care about each other. You saw that with the son and the daughter. That the son was profoundly sad after his sister's death and that the daughter never wanted to hurt her brother. She she even pleaded with the father who was a bit of a balanced character. He was the only one besides the chosen one who could control both the children. She pleaded with him that it was just his nature not to hurt him or punish him for the way he was. I think that's so cool. It's part of why Frozen did so well because all the other Disney princess movies and a lot of Disney movies in general before that had been about a couple of characters in love. The princess falls in love with the prince or the ordinary girl falls in love with a prince or the princess falls in love with an ordinary guy or whatever. And that was the big thing. You know, Disney princesses are all about falling in love. Well, oh, and now we've got a Disney princess movie centering on a couple of sisters who love each other and they want to try to help each other. Yeah, there's a, a romantic love story off in the corner with Anna and Kristoff. But to me, the story of Anna and Elsa as sisters trying to help each other, Anna trying so hard to save her sister, that was really neat to me. And I think that's why the movie did so well. I have a lot of sisters and it really... It really clicks in a in an interesting way in a, a little niche that Disney princess movies had never filled before. I think it would be really cool to see Kylo and Rey in a brother and sister type relationship. And that's part of why Kylo is so gentle towards her as he sees her as this scared little sister who he really wants to come to his side. He wants her as his little helper but she doesn't want to and she sees him as a brother who is turned to the darkness and she wants so bad to come back because I would say there's a very strong attachment between them. There's a strong connection. I would even dare to say there's a, a type of love between them. But I'm not ready to say that it's a romantic love and that maybe he's going to come back to the light because he wants to live with her forever or that that's why she won't hurt him or whatever. I like them better, honestly, as brother and sister because look at the parallels between just the, the shots of her and Kylo wrestling over the Skywalker lightsaber, pulling it in different directions as their hair and clothes stream out behind them because of the turmoil going on inside that room. And the son and the daughter fighting in Clone Wars as they're forcing their power against each other and the same sort of thing is going on. There's so many connections. I just, and I, and I love that between them. Their dynamic is so amazing because, once again, back to the brother and sister thing, Kylo and Rey, they have this thing that a lot of people are calling Force Skype where they can... Their, their bond is so strong through the Force that it transcends the limits of space, of physical distance. They are able to still talk with each other, even we find out, touch each other, and even interact with each other's environment, 
Ray or Kylo gets water on his face because Ray is in a wet place at one point and he had been talking to her. They can interact with each other even when separated by half a galaxy. To me, that's the bond between a brother and a sister. And that is why still, you know, when she's in her hut after having experienced this traumatic event with the dark side where she went to a well of the dark side and saw a vision where she asked who her parents were and all she saw was her own face in response. And that's why they sat there together and that's why he kind of comforted her and she kind of comforted him and they were just comfortable and helping each other not feel lonely in each other's presence and what led to them touching hands and really strengthening that bond is because, like I said, they're like a a brother and a sister. They're never going to give up on each other. They're always going to continue to sort of pull back and forth on each other. Somehow, I can't get the picture of Ray firmly grounded in the light side, always going back to Kylo and saying, hey, you don't have to live this way. You can still come back. And not hating him for all the horrible things he's done because he's her brother and because she's always going to love him because there's that connection and how he never can kill her, never can really hurt her in a in a really bad sort of way because she's his little sister. He couldn't do that. Like I said, you know, maybe they're not biologically related, but I really like that sort of connection between them, that sort of relationship. The light and the dark in in conflict, but still somehow bonded together in that way that can never be broken. Also, the, the scene where Kylo and Rey fight together against the Praetorian Guards is awesome. It's probably one of the best scenes of the movie. I've heard from many fans that they love that scene, and I did too. The choreography there was amazing, and I loved how they fought back to back, and they had a connection through all that where they knew each other's moves, like the moment where he kind of hoists her onto his back in order to go down low and stab the guard he's after, and it's able to give her some leverage to come up higher and stab the guard who she's fighting. That's really, really cool how he just pushed her off. To me, once again, that's their bond of brother and sister. They know each other so well. Also, they're looking back and forth across the span of the room and kind of communicating what they're doing and that they're in trouble and how to help each other. And when he kills Snoke, all these things to me, that's their bond. And like I said, maybe they're not biologically related, but this is yet another reason why I think there's a lot more to their connection than we think. Because, here's the thing, Snoke said that he's the one who bridged their minds. He said he caused it. He is the one who made them be able to communicate. But that communication, I think, that doesn't line up because they still are able to have that communication after Snoke is dead. They still have that contact with each other. And also, I, I don't think he's the one that did it because, number one, I think you have to accept, if you accept that he's the one who did all that, then you also have to accept that everything they saw in their visions was, as he said, created by him in order to toy with them and in order to get them to achieve what he wanted. 
Okay, so that means when Kylo and her touched hands and she saw that he would join her side and he saw that she would join his side and he also supposedly saw her parents and and knew that they were no one and that therefore makes her no one, then Kylo would have to put that vision in his mind too, right? Or Kylo didn't do any of it? Or, you know, what what are we supposed to think here? Hopefully, episode 9 will answer some of these questions. But there are too many things to me that don't line up. Another big thing is the fact that Snoke went through all that trouble just to have Kylo take out a young girl he had met literally days before. That they had found out about literally days before. And even since First Thing the Force Awakens, there's some sort of odd connection between Kylo and Rey, like when the guard first tells him, oh, there was a girl involved, and he flips out. He, they somehow, maybe they've communicated before without knowing it. Maybe they felt each other's presence before without knowing it. But to me, there's a lot more involved there than we think there is. Maybe that's why Luke was so upset when he saw them communicating And maybe that's why Snoke wanted him to take her out so bad. Because she is yet another pull to the light for him. She's yet another relation that he has to get rid of. He had to get rid of his father. Now his master slash uncle is gone. Supposedly his mother is gone. He's not sure his mother's alive. And it seems like with the whole thing with Carrie Fisher that she's going to have to die in the next movie. Leia is. So... You know, that would leave one last thread still intact, pulling him back to the light. And maybe that's why Snoke wanted him to go ahead and take her out. And finally, you know, I have to talk about everything that happened with Luke Skywalker. A lot of people, their reason for hating this movie, was they felt that Luke's character has been destroyed. That he was supposed to be this strong Jedi Master who stayed strong in his faith. He always, you know, always held true, never doubted, and, you know, died that way. That that was, that was Luke. He was stalwart. He was a rock. He never wavered. And then you come into The Last Jedi and see Luke as a an old man, tired of all the junk that's going on in the galaxy. And he's run off. He's hiding in a cave, waiting every day, hoping he'll die. And everybody hates it. And everybody says they've destroyed Luke Skywalker. I don't think so. I think it makes sense. He's he's a human. He's he's a a finite physical being that can't cope with everything going on in the world. And I think it makes sense that he did what he did. Because also, you know, people say that he never would have considered killing Ben when he saw the darkness inside of him. But but would he have? You know, how many times have you thought a horrible thing that you never want anyone to find out you thought? It just jumped into your mind for whatever reason. It just popped into your mind. And you don't normally think those things. And you regretted it. And you felt horrible for even thinking that thing. That's Luke. He's a human. He's not perfect. He thought for half a minute, I can take it out. I can end it now. It can all be over. But he couldn't do it, just like he couldn't kill his father. You know, what? what's the big difference? Of course he would have thought that. He's a human. He's a, he's a, a simple being who has these flaws, who's messed up sometimes, who doesn't always get everything right, who 
doesn't train his apprentice the way maybe he ought to have and the apprentice ends up destroying everything they've worked so hard to build and who in response to that runs off and hides in a cave and tries to get rid of the girl who comes to try to call him back and and be his call back to the path of the jedi here's the thing luke is a flawed character just like every character you can't have a perfectly perfect character even obi-wan and even yoda had flaws and you see that you know yoda may be a little bit harder to find everyone says that he was prideful and in a way maybe he was maybe he trusted too much in the way of the jedi instead of trying to work things out for himself when he had doubts but i don't think what they did with luke was wrong. I don't think how they portrayed him was a problem because heroes are gonna fall. Heroes can't be perfect all the time. They're gonna have some issues. They're going to, a lot of them are going to let you down at some point. And that's why you have to be so careful with your heroes. The whole part of the message of this movie was never meet your heroes. Well, but Ray did, and it's made her a better person because of it and it's made Luke a better person because of it because he he did come back he did fulfill his destiny also you know people are like they never should have killed Luke that was the dumbest decision well they didn't kill Luke Luke is as much alive as he was before he's alive he didn't die he's simply one with the force now he's in a different a different manifestation than he was before but I believe I, th- I still view Luke as maybe not alive in the way of all the other characters, but he's certainly not dead. Yoda, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Qui-Gon, they're not dead. They're not gone. I don't even think Luke is going to have a brief cameo part in the next movie. I want to think that he's going to have a major part in the next movie. Because he did not die. Even Yoda and Obi-Wan had to die and then become one with the Force. And yes, they retained their consciousness. They're even able to interact with things in the physical world. But they had to die first. Luke excelled that. He didn't even die. He went straight on to become one with the Force. I think this is preparing us for the fact that he's going to be back quite a bit in the future. Also, I think it's very interesting because a lot of people have speculated that the Rebels show will end with Kanan and or Ezra becoming one with the Force in much the same way. I don't necessarily agree with that because I do want them to live. But I think it would be very interesting to see that happen. Maybe, and then Luke, perhaps get that information somehow through knowing what happened with those characters. I don't know how it would work. It's it's kind of fuzzy in my brain right now. But that would be a very interesting connection, in my opinion. Okay, guys. So, I think that covers pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Actually, it doesn't. There's a ton more stuff I want to talk about with Finn and with Poe and with Rose. Like and DJ, and Holdo, and everyone else, and about the ships in this episode of the saga, and I mean the relationships, not the ships that fly around in space. Um, I want to talk about those some too sometime, but I'm over an hour right now on this one podcast. It's getting late, so I'm going to go ahead and close it off. You'll probably see another podcast dealing with an awful lot of Last Jedi stuff next week. I do also want to say thank you to Ryan Bullock and Patty Hammond on Twitter for submitting some questions for me to 
talk about on this show, including my thoughts on Ray and Kylo and their relationship, and whether or not I was able to stay spoiler-free for The Last Jedi. So thanks, guys. I'm always looking for interaction with the listeners. I love it when you guys send me stuff to read on the show. I love it when you send me things on Twitter that make me think. A lot of the conversations I have on Twitter or things that I read from other people on Twitter or things I see on Pinterest or emails other people send me, those really get my brain rolling and that's what helps me get these episodes out for you. As always, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play Music because the Elven Pattern Wine is available on all of those places. And I do want to say a big thank you to the person who left me another review on iTunes. They left me a five-star review and said some very nice things about the show. So thank you so much, listener, for doing that. Also, please subscribe if you like the show. Please follow me on Twitter, at Elven Padawan. I try to carry on conversations frequently with my followers or engage them in some way. If you want to get show notes for this episode, listen to any other episodes, see show notes for other episodes, or read the really cool Elvin Padawan blog, please go to elvinpadawan.com. Me and my writing team try to put stuff on there about once a week. You know, sometimes we miss some weeks because most of us are teenagers. We're in high school and things are crazy. And we have things we're doing with our families and outside of just the Star Wars fandom. So it's not super consistent. I try to keep it as consistent as possible. You can keep up with the latest Star Wars and Tolkien-related news on there. I do try to keep that very consistent, if at all possible. Also, please, if you want to send me an email for me to read on the show, if you just want to say hi, if you have thoughts for a future show, if you have news that I've missed or whatever, please send me an email using the address shay at elvenpadawan.com. If you want to send in a recording of yourself saying hi, asking a question, whatever, do so. Please, I will play it on the show. I don't know how many of you heard last time's episode where I had the Star Wars fan community send in recordings of their thoughts in preparation for The Last Jedi, but that's essentially what all those guys did. So do it. Just use your smartphone, record yourself talking. It actually has surprisingly good audio quality. And send it in, and I will put it on here. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Um, I hope to have another episode out next week. Like I said, I'll probably be talking about The Last Jedi again. Until then, may the wind under your wings carry you to where the sun sails and the moon walks, and the Force be with you always. Good night. I regret to announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell.